The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Amen. Good morning, church. So good to be in the house. Hallelujah. Well, this morning we're continuing our Unbroken series. If you're visiting, we're going through the book of First Peter. Um, we'd probably agree it's been a challenging series to date. Who, who's voting with me on that? It's been challenging? Yeah. Did anyone find this week's reading challenging, by the way? Yeah? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Today's passage kind of turns the whole book on a dime. Today's passage, you know, we think it was challenging today. We suddenly, we're going to find ourselves with greater challenges this morning. We're going to find probably some things we don't necessarily want to hear. My message this morning is entitled, A Comforting Discomfort. A Comforting Discomfort. We're about to look at an area that is going to cause a bit of discomfort, and that is suffering for Jesus. I don't know about you, but, you know, we live in a day of purpose-driven lives and your best life now, and there's a, there's a place for that. There's a place for that. But, you know, it's worth considering this wasn't necessarily always the image of Christianity. One of the fathers of the faith, Augustine, said this amazing thing. He said, God has had one son without sin, but never had a son without suffering. Just ponder that for a moment. Jesus came without sin and he was sinless. He suffered, but so does everyone who follows. Just hold that thought. And unlike last week, you might have got a pass if you weren't a slave or if you're not a woman because there was a specific audience that was being addressed. This week, it's all of us. It's all of us. Peter sort of builds on what he's been saying. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, I just want to apologize up front. There is a lot here and we just simply don't have time to cover it all. But I'm praying that we just get to the heart of what Peter is trying to say this morning. As I said, you're going to feel a bit of discomfort at times, and there's no other way to, to cover it. I'm sorry. That's just what's, what's here. But there is going to be great comfort. There's going to be great encouragement. So don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of where we're going this morning. So that's my prayer, that God's going to just reveal himself to us afresh this morning. And we'll see. We'll see what his purposes are in our lives Maybe for some of you here and now, where we are. Now, it's a long reading, so I'm just going to read bit by bit rather than go through the whole thing now. A comforting discomfort. The first thing that I believe, the one theme that we've been called to in this is selflessness. If there's one word that sums up this whole entire passage, it's being selfless. Peter is pleading with this group of believers, live generously, live sacrificially, not for yourselves. It's a call to being selfless. And by the way, it's not selfless for selfless sake. There's not Buddhism or some other faith about suffering. It's selflessness for witness. Selflessness to point to Jesus. And we'll, we'll refer to that as we go. Now, Peter gives us two ways in which this call for selflessness shows itself. The first is this. The believers need to love one another. Before anything else, we are told that we are to be a people that selflessly loves the bride of Christ, selflessly loves the church, to care for one another as if we're family. Because, hey, that's what we are. Verse 8, 
gives us this. In, in, it's, it's short, it's sharp, it's beautiful. He says, finally, all of you, everyone, be of like mind, be sympathetic, be, uh, love one another, be compassionate and be humble. Now, I look at that and I think that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of community I want to live in. I'll go on further. I feel like that's the community I do live in. I feel like that's the church we're building here. If you look around you, that's what I see in your lives. Are we perfect? No, but we're on that road. I see compassion. I see sympathy. I see humility in this place. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, therefore. This shouldn't come as a major shock to us. In fact, it's probably stating the obvious. Some of you might be thinking, love one another. Thank you, Andrew. Real profound this morning. Real deep. You might be thinking that. Peter's readers could have been thinking the same thing. Like, come on, man, this is kindergarten. Jesus told us love one another. Paul told us, Peter, you're telling us now. We get it. Peter's like, really? Really? Do you get it? Okay. Look at the words he's used. Be of like mind. Be united. Stand together. Be sympathetic. Bearing each other's burdens. Love one another. Some versions say love like brothers or love as brothers. Be compassionate. Don't be cynical like the world. Don't be hardened. Be tender-hearted. Be merciful. And of course, be humble. Care for others' needs before yours. Put others first. Love one another sounds pretty mundane, but when we put it like this, it's different. These qualities, I'm sure you'll agree, are very countercultural. They were countercultural in Peter's day. We might live in another culture, but they're still countercultural today. Look around you. We don't see that in the world. We see that in the church when we're living for God. But I've got to say, when I look at that in my own life, I struggle with some of this. I'm not always sympathetic. I'm not always humble, if I'm honest. And I think we can all agree with that. I think collectively we're doing well as a church. Individually, can we do better? Can God do more in our lives in this whole area of being loving, being loving? So firstly, being selfless is about loving one another. But secondly, Peter says we are to repay evil with blessing. Peter is reminding us it's not just loving the brethren. It's showing restraint to those that do us harm. As Jesus said, blessing those that persecute us. This is where it really gets difficult. Verse 9 tells us, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but what? On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. I submit to you that's a high bar to reach. Notice that this deal, there's, there's three responses we could have here. When someone does wrong by you, what can you do? You can repay them with evil. That's what the world does. You can do nothing about it, but inwardly you're harboring a grudge. Maybe you're harboring some blackmail. You'll get them back later. But Peter says, no, that's what the world does. You've got a higher calling. Repay evil with good. Repay with blessing. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that, that's pretty radical. When I read that, I think, wow, that's next level. This is what sets Christianity high above any 
other faith, loving your enemies, blessing those who do wrong against you. It's a huge call for us to make. And if you're in any doubt about this whole aspect of suffering, skip down to verse 14 for a minute. And Peter says, if you suffer for doing good, you are what? You're blessed. You're blessed. This is really, really strange. See, we read the book of Acts in the first few chapters. Paul, Peter goes to jail three times. We have hardly been past Jesus going. We've hardly been past Pentecost. And he's already been thrown into jail. And he's saying, I'm blessed. Peter, are you nuts? What are you saying? Where's the blessing? Well, just quickly, when we suffer, we know that character's being built within us. We read that. Suffering builds perseverance. Perseverance, character. You know that. Secondly, we know that when we suffer, we know that we tend to rely on God, don't we? And it forces us into a closer walk with Him. And the third thing I think, there's probably more, but the third thing I think is the enemy knows that you're doing something right for God. God doesn't touch you when you're not walking with Him the way you should. I found that. When I get closer to God, the attacks start coming. So there's blessing in that. But still, you're probably thinking, suffering, discomfort, this is not what I want to hear. Come on, man, it's Sunday morning, I don't want to hear this. I've got to be honest, I don't want to say it, but this is what the Word says. Who, but who wants suffering? Who wants discomfort? Who wants pain? I don't, for good reason. What's your idea of suffering? Is it getting a lack of recognition at work? Hey, that could be legitimate. They know you're a Christian and you're doing all the right things, but other people get noticed. Maybe other people get noticed for a promotion. You're the most qualified, but hey, they don't like your faith. That could be legitimate. For some of you, suffering might be not having coffee. I don't get that one because I don't drink coffee. Must be the only one in the church. (laughs) Coffee machine went down at work the other day. I swear, it's like someone had died. It was just... (laughs) I'm like, hey, it's cool, whatever, you know. For some of you, it's not fine parking at Westfield. (laughs) A family friend of ours, I remember years ago saying, I had an anointed day. I got parking straight away in Westfield. If that's your idea of anointing, I'm not going to judge. That's cool. For me, the suffering starts when I get out of the car. That's when the suffering starts at Westfield. (laughs) But what's your idea of suffering? What's your idea? It's not something we're familiar with or want to talk about. The Holy Spirit put something on my heart when I was preparing this, this message. He said to me, everybody wants to be an overcomer, but there's very few that want to do any overcoming. We love the idea of the overcomer and Jesus promises, you know, new names and, you know, you're set free and all these different things. And then when it comes to actually doing the overcoming, that's a different matter. And the funny thing is, Jesus is the overcomer and what we need to do is endure with him. It's not about us fighting a battle per se. We've got to endure with him, but doing that, that's, that's a, even that's a tall order. I find there's probably two reasons that we want to avoid suffering. And, you know, there's some legitimacy with these. The first, I think, is this. We cannot readily see the reward. I don't know about you, but I notice evildoers, ill-discipline, the reward for that is pretty instantaneous often. The reward for doing good, it can be ages away. It can be invisible. I mean, consider you get into a slanging match at work or something, and it's just all jokes, and then suddenly 
they've, they've cut you with that last comment. Now, you've got a choice. You can just fire back and hit them where it hurts. And the reward is instant. Or you can not repay evil with evil. You could be getting dressed down by your boss and you sit there thinking, that was so unfair, it was so public. You've got a choice to make. This is an evil from evil so much, but you know, lust of the eyes, you walk past a patisserie or an ice cream shop or something and you think, oh, the reward's instant. Unfortunately, the guilt doesn't follow, it follows pretty close behind on that one. But it's tempting to go the other way. It is so tempting to do the wrong thing because the reward is there. But something else, it is so foreign to us in the West. The whole idea of suffering is completely anti-cultural to us. And, you know, for good reason. That we, Our society is built on Christianity and we've got so much freedom, so much comfort. But it wasn't always like that. And it's still not like that in many countries. The church has had obstacles on every side. And brother, sister, believe me, it wouldn't take much for us to get back to that. It really wouldn't. Look around you. Now, I've said all of this. I don't want to be dismissive this morning. We might not be facing jail. We might not be facing the guillotine or any of this sort of stuff. But I know there are things in your lives right now that could legitimately be called suffering. You could be suffering through work. Maybe there's injustice at work. Or maybe it's a job you're not enjoying. You're getting ostracized. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's loneliness. Loss of a loved one. I don't want to dismiss any of that. That's still suffering. That's still hard to deal with. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said this amazing thing. He said, if a Christian is not having tribulation in the world, there's something wrong. I mean, what did Jesus say? You're going to be hated because of me. You're going to be persecuted because of me. Just a thought. What if we saw suffering more as discomfort? What if we saw suffering more as a form of spiritual exercise or spiritual discipline? It's a little crazy. It's a little out there. But again, Peter said, we're blessed. We're blessed. We train our bodies. We train our minds when we want to do something. We want to build up something. You want to learn a new skill. Maybe it's not that far flung to think of this as building our character, building us spiritually. Just a thought. So we see this call to selflessness is made of loving the brethren and repaying evil with blessing. What I need to say to you is this. None of this is possible without the fear of the Lord. You can do all you want. You can be a good Christian, so to speak. But unless the Holy Spirit's inside of you, unless the fear of the Lord is in you, this will not happen. Notice in verse 14, Peter writes, don't. He writes, don't fear what they fear or don't fear their threats do not be frightened instead verse 15 honor honor Christ as Lord in your heart honor Jesus as Lord in your heart fear him some versions say if Jesus is not on the throne of your heart what we're talking about this morning cannot happen but if he is on the throne of your heart if he is your Lord that's the gospel at work we are no longer slaves to fall to fear again. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. This is how we can love the church. This is how we can endure the discomfort of suffering and point the world back to him in the process. We don't see it, 
but people do, believe me. So this call to selflessness, loving the church, repaying evil with blessing, great, get it. But let's, let's get real for a second. Let's be honest. We're all human. And we look down that road of selflessness and the reward seems a long way away. The reward to do what the world does seems quite instant and lucrative and attractive. And the pain comes, the suffering comes, and you think, what about me? What about my rights? What's the point of blessing others? Where's my comfort? You've been there? I have. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. God has given you reason for motivation this morning. God has given us reward. There's incentive for us to do the right thing, to do good, to do good. The first motivation that he's left us here in this word is that God will bless. We're assured that God is going to reward your obedience. Verse 9 says that, it continues, it says, We are called, to this you were called, to blessing, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like what God said to Abraham? We are blessed to be a blessing. And in blessing others, God continues to bless. It's this beautiful cycle. There's an inheritance that comes from the Lord, but comes when you repay evil, not with evil, but with blessing. It comes when you're willing to be selfless. It's so easy for us to just cling to our rights, isn't it? What about my rights? This is mine. But God is saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes, it looks far off, but I'm working a plan. I've got a plan. You just don't know what God has for you around the bend, church. We don't know. You might be facing a situation in school. You might be bullied for your faith You might, or, or uni. You might be faced with someone who just makes your life so difficult. You don't know that they're going to get converted in six months and be your best friend and look to you for advice. But you might want to up and leave, and I get that. You might be facing a work situation where you just want to go because you're being, there's an adversary who's making your life so difficult. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe God's going to remove them in three months from that place. You don't know. This is, this is infinitesimally small. Please let me just clarify. We saw it in a very minor way recently. We went and watched uh, Frozen at uh, Disney on Ice recently for the first time in forever. Yeah. And um, we got to intermission. Thank you. We got to intermission and uh, the kids were hungry and we're like, okay, let's go get some food. So sure, I went to get some food for the kids. And you know, the, the, they're taking a long time. I think, what is going on over there? And so she came back a little complex. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? And she goes, well, you know, I had these items and they were going to undercharge me. And so she says, being good Christian, you know, uh, that's not what I ordered. I've actually ordered this. And like, okay, so they didn't undercharge. They didn't charge correctly. They overcharged. I mean, look, it was a couple of dollars. I'm not making a big deal out of it. And we didn't. We thought we'd just let it go. But we had to because it was, it was time to get back in anyway. But we just let it go. And, but you know what happened? The show finished. We had to pay for parking. It was going to be a huge bill. They gave us a great discount straight away. Now, as I said, that's infinitesimally small, but you just don't know the, the principle. Do you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't always want you to just say, this is my right. Sometimes it pays to let it go. <laughs> you don't know. We don't know how God's going to reward our obedience. We just don't. 
but we know that he will in his time. So that's the first motivation, God's blessing. The second motivation, this excites me, is God's favour. God's favour upon us. Not just a one-off blessing, not just a gift from heaven, but the incentive that God is with you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's better than any blessing to me. We read in verse 12, and Jared touched on this in communion. God gives a, Peter gives us two awesome images. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. That's way better than a blessing to me. We know God is with us. He's watching. He's listening. Your prayers are not in vain, church. We might be walking through fire. We might be wading through flood. But God's with us. God is, he's never left your side. Don't lose sight of that this morning. Peter goes on in verse 17. You talk about God's favour. He said, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good, it's better because God's with you. God's on your side. Uh, there's a preacher who some of you will know, some of you may not know, whose name's Haddon Robinson. He actually died last week. Uh, great preacher and great instructor of preaching. He said this amazing thing. He said, you can be out of God's will and sleep peacefully like Jonah. On the other hand, you can be in God's will and be under anxiety, just like Jesus. And I think we miss the mark sometimes when we think it's all about peace. It's all about the circumstance. God uses that, but sometimes God's will is for that not to happen. God's going to use whatever is in front of you. And can I just at that point this morning, church, say to you, some of you are facing obstacles you cannot see around. Some of you are facing things that you just think, God, where are you? Can I say to you this morning, you're not there because of a lack of faith. Someone may have done an injustice to you and said that. that, Throw that in the rubbish, please. That may not be anything to do with it at all. You could be dead centre of God's will this morning and still facing the mountain to climb. Don't lose sight of the fact that God's with you. I can say this for certain, wherever you are, and I don't know what your situation is, God hasn't left your side. God is with you. He's hearing. He's watching. So... I hope that's a motivation to you this morning. Not only that the call to selflessness, but that there's a motivation to keep going. There's a motivation in our discomfort, a comfort in our discomfort. That would be great, but we can't leave it there because we know that these things are still not easy to see at times. The insults increase. You're not feeling the love of church like you once did maybe. And maybe that favour looks a long way away can be hard to keep going. We sort of think we need something like the sun. It's sort of disappeared this morning, but it's, it's there. We need something like the sun to look to. We need a place to fix our eyes. Has God done anything like that? Church, yes, he has. Yes, he has. Not only he's given us the motivation, but he's given us encouragement to keep going. He's given us something to look to. What is that? What has he given us to keep our eye on? When the suffering is overwhelming, when the love's not happening, how does he encourage us? Through his son. He encourages us through Jesus, our perfect example. The kind of love, the kind of endurance we're talking about, he exemplified all through his life, right up to the cross. We look in verse 18. We read that Jesus also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. 
If anyone has cause to complain about injustice, it's Jesus. If anyone has cause to say, I suffered for something I didn't deserve, it's him. His suffering was not just for an evil world, by the way. His suffering was for you and for me. And that cross won my salvation. It won your salvation. It's something to look to, church. It is so, so clear. But furthermore than that, not just he suffered, he overcame. We read, don't we, if there's no resurrection, we're most to be pitied. Well, hey, blow that out of the water. He's risen. He was raised to life by the Spirit. It says in verse 19. I've got to come back to that. Jesus suffering and overcoming When I look at that, it makes endurance a lot easier to deal with. It makes it easier to love people when they haven't loved me back. That's a great motivation to me. That's a great comfort to me. And I hope it is to you this morning. The key for your life and mine for this whole passage, I believe, is this. If you've forgotten what I've said, please just pay attention to this next little bit. Our selflessness paints a picture of our selfless Saviour. When we choose not to live for ourselves, we're painting a portrait of Christ. We're showing people what Christ is like when we love as brothers, love as sisters, when we endure suffering with a smile somehow. We're showing Christ to the world. Now, I could leave it there, but there's something else we need to visit here, and it will actually help us. Like I said, this is where it gets a little curly, but just hang with me. Can we head to verse 19? There's some awesome illustrations here. In verse 19, it says, After being made alive, that's Jesus, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Is that clear as mud? Let's just close the meeting there, shall we? No? Okay. What is he talking about? What does that mean? This verse has had more theories than Loch Ness Monster. Seriously, it's what is he talking about? Martin Luther even said, this is the craziest passage in the New Testament. He didn't say craziest. I think most obscure was his words. What does it mean? Some believe Jesus actually went to a place called Hades and preached to imprisoned spirits. And there's some justification for that in the Bible. I happen to have a different view, and I'm not going to labor this. My view is this, because Peter has spent a lot of time talking about the eternity of Jesus. Throughout the whole book, he's talked about the fact that he has been, he may have been on the earth at AD 1 or whatever the year was, but he existed a long time before that, eternally. And my view is this, that the Spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah at that time. Other translations leave out that pesky word after and they make it a little bit easier to to follow that. I'm not going to labour the point because whichever way you look at it, here's the thing. The theme is Jesus' witness. Jesus is witnessing of himself, and it's our example. He's our example. He went and did it. He showed the way. Now, the second curly one, if we keep going, talks about, it continues with the Noah theme. In the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that saves you also, not the removal of dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience. Again, what, what is he on about? He's likening the ark and baptism in this way. The ark was floating above the waters. What were the waters there to do? They were to cleanse the earth. It was judgment. And what Peter's saying is, in the same way, when you get baptized, you're cut off from everything above. You ever notice when you go swimming, someone starts yelling you from, up, from above? You, you haven't got a clue what they're saying. You're completely cut off. 
And that's what Peter is saying. You are cut off from your old life. And then you rise up to a new life. And again, he's not saying it's the baptism. It's just a symbol of what Jesus is doing. So don't misread that. This is not, this is not saved by baptism. But he's saying that there's a new life that we can be a part of. And the baptism is a symbol of that. A new selfless life. So let's bring this to a close. Finally, uh, Peter, he says at the very end in verse 22, let's read it. This is an awesome verse. Or just at, just at the end of 21, I should say. Uh, it saves you by the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Peter concludes by reminding us of the resurrection of Jesus, concludes by reminding us that, yes, the game might still be going, but in heaven, full time has been blown. The victory has been won. It doesn't, is, there's nothing untoward happening. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. Victory has been assured. It's like a football team. And this, this, uh, something dies in me when I say this, but it's like watching Queensland in state of origin. They've barely got on, no, they've barely got on the field. They've barely got on the field and they know the game's already won. Again, it hurts. It really hurts. But that's the thing. That's got to be our mentality. We face trials. We face suffering. These are real. But the victory is assured. Jesus has won the battle. Jesus has these powers under His feet. There's nothing the devil can throw at you that will change your destiny. There's nothing that he can touch you with. Doesn't matter what it is like. Doesn't matter what discomfort we're going through. And again, it's real. But the victory is ever more real. Oh, so real. So church, as we close, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to stir you this morning. That could, these could be things you're facing right here and right now. This call to serve Jesus is hard. I'm not going to back away from that. This word tells us it's hard. But that just makes the glory sweeter. That just makes the eventual victory sweeter. And it makes it worth it. We suffer because we can see there's a reward coming. We discipline ourselves because we can see there's an end to it. We can see there's a, this is a means to an end. This is not the final, final place. And that's what Peter wants to get through to us. Your suffering is not in vain. It is worth striving for. This selfless life is worth striving for. Jesus has given us this call and the ability to live this existence that points to Him. He's given us the motivation. He's given us His blessings, His presence, His favour. And as if that's not enough, He says, just look to me. Just look to me. I've done it. I've been there. And know that I have won. Church, that should be all we need to be showing Him in the way we love one another. That should be all we need to show Him when we don't repay evil with evil and we completely confuse the world around us. They think, what have you got? Why are you reacting that way? Let's just take a moment and reflect. Let's just pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you this morning that you have been our you, you've been watching us this whole time and you sent your son to be such an example to us. You've sent your son to be all that we need. 
Lord, we just ask that we would look to you in our sufferings, Lord. We would look to you in our hour of need, in our hour of discomfort. Lord, I pray that we would also look to you when things are going well. Lord, we, we, we sometimes wait for the bad things to happen before we surrender to you. God, we will, we will take them on. But at the same time, God, let us look to you at all times. Let us look to you and trust you with our lives. God, this morning, I just wanna lift up anyone in this place who is dealing with a crisis right now, Lord, who is dealing with some of these issues and Lord, they cannot see a way forward. Would you minister to their hearts, Lord? Would you show them there is a way out? Would you show them, Lord, that you died and you rose again for them and all you call for them to do is to look unto you, the author and the finisher of their faith, Lord? Would you just show them, Lord, that your blessing is not that far off. Your favour is with them. You are hearing their prayers. Your eyes are upon them. Lord God, would you just remind us all that we belong to a community of love. And Lord, if we are struggling, we have brothers and sisters, we can roll that off onto. We can bear each other's burdens. Jesus, would you just so minister to our hearts at this moment? Lord, there isn't one of us who can't go deeper with you. There isn't one of us who can't be better at loving. There isn't one of us, Lord, who can't be better at this. Jesus, we love you and we adore you. We want to paint that picture of you in our lives, Lord God. Do a work in us, we pray, Lord. Lord, in your precious name.